calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. You are listening to episode 14 of Full Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the Solar Clipper, written and read by Nathan Lowell. Chapter 27. Nigh all orbital, 2352, August 19. When I got to the bridge for morning watch, the pre-departure tension was already building. Mr. Von Nichols came up to stand his watch at the console beside me, and we talked about the new data. It clearly showed that the ship had done what it was supposed to do on shutdown, and it had even brought up the systems it was supposed to bring up. It was only after that point that things started going wrong, and it started in in the afterboat deck. I hoped the data would mean something to Mr. Kelly. We only had the watch for a short time before the captain came onto the bridge and the party started for real. By that point, I had enough experience in the systems console to run my own displays, and Mr. Von Nichols made no comment as I scanned first through the data integrity checks, then the high-level diagnostics. I pulled the morning logs and got the virtual ship as ready for getting underway as the actual one. Eventually, though, it got to the point where all I could do was wait. The tugs linked in with their communications ports and laid on their field generators. The captain choreographed the whole extravaganza, and once more it went off without a hitch. We dropped back smoothly. Watching Niall slipping away, I thought I even saw the penny docked, but I couldn't really be sure. After a few short ticks, the tugs dropped out, and we came about, setting sail for the deep dark and umber beyond. As we secured from navigation detail and assumed normal watches, I turned to Mr. Von Nichols. I see what you mean about the first time, sir, I said with a grin, but it's still quite a show. He smiled back at me and said, yes, it is, Mr. Huang. Yes, it is. I pulled up the failure display one last time to watch it run through. I just let it loop, remembering the incident. The other officers in the bridge came to look at it, even the captain. Mr. Kelly was standing behind Mr. Von Nichols, pulling on his lower lip with thumb and forefinger and staring at the looping display. There was something there, but we just weren't seeing it. It was on the third loop, and I was staring dreamily at the place in the schematic that represented where I'd been walking, where the power went out and the gravity failed, and then came back on and slammed me to the deck. Gravity, I said. I added Sar when I realized I'd spoken aloud. They all looked at me. Mr. Kelly squinted at me. Keep going, Ish. Gravity went out, and the ship slewed a bit, Sar. It was enough that the field collector plates and all four scrubbers unseated and were sucked up out of position when the power came back up. Mr. Kelly nodded. I remember. Damnedest thing I'd ever seen. I pointed to the boat deck where the first sensor went dead. We're assuming that something with the EMP killed this saw, right? Yes, Mr. Wong. What else could it be? What if something fell on it and broke it and shorted it out? Would that have taken out all those systems, sir? I asked Mr. Kelly. If something fell on it, he asked, but he started to say and then leaned into the display. 
Mr. Von Nichols, Mr. Maxwell, and the captain were all staring at the screen as well. The captain ordered, freeze that, if you would, Mr. Huang, just before the point where the boat deck's sensor fails. Aye, Captain, I said, and inched the display forward until the frame exactly before the component failure. Oh, for crying out loud, Mr. Kelly said in disgust. The captain was shaking her head. That can't be right. Right or not, that's what happened, unless Mr. Huang made a data error, Captain, Mr. Kelly said. The captain said, Mr. Huang, can you please double-check the status of systems continuity breakers at this point in time? Yes, Captain. I scrolled through the list of systems data. The sensor grid for the SCB was shut down normally when the power overrides took everything offline. When did they come back online, Mr. Huang? she asked. They didn't, Captain, I told her, at least not within this window of log data. Mr. Maxwell was shaking his head now, so all the fault breakers were offline. Yep, Mr. Kelly said, the ship was wide open. When the system's cabinet failed, that's probably all that kept us from having that spike rip through the sail generators. Oh, it's so obvious, Mr. Kelly said in disgust. Mr. Von Nichols looked startled at that and glanced at me with a grin. We were looking for some kind of EMP interference wave or flaw in the EMP shielding, Mr. Kelly just shook his head. I'm going to be kicking myself for the next year over this. The captain asked, what fell on it to short it out? Did it short out from physical damage? Do we know? Not at the moment, Captain, Mr. Kelly said, but I'll know as much as we can find out in a couple of ticks. Ish, can you pull up the maintenance records for the period beginning at this point and going forward until you find anybody doing anything on the boat deck? I popped another list up on my starboard screen. It took a tick or two, but I found the record identifying the replaced sensor. Sensor broken, heat damage, scorch on casing. It was initialed AX. Hardly conclusive, Mr. Kelly was murmuring, but that's as solid an explanation as we've had in weeks. When you get a chance, Mr. Kelly, the captain said, would you ask Mr. Ja about the sensor head? Mr. Kelly was still gazing at the display and nodding to himself slowly. Hi, Captain. And I think I'm going to go take another look at the boat deck myself. I've been thinking all these failures were caused by the EMP. We all were, Fred, Mr. Maxwell said. Mind if I tag along? Nope. Mr. Kelly shook himself from his contemplation of the display. Let's go see what we can find. The captain clapped me on the shoulder. Nicely done, Mr. Huang, she said, and the officers, except for Mr. Von Nichols, all headed off to attend other duties. Mr. Von Nichols was smiling at me from his console. Well, you said it had to be something obvious. I almost laughed out loud when Mr. Kelly said that, he told me. Well, you see what you expect to see, sir, I said with a shrug. I've certainly done my share of that lately. Still, what made you think of gravity, he asked. When I came back on, it dropped me on my head, I said. Made something of an impression on the deck, sir. Was the deck damaged? he asked with a grin. No, sir, I told him I checked. We sat there grinning at each other for a tick, and he said, Nice work, Ish, nodding at the screen. Thank you, sir. We both secured our stations then, and I headed for the mess deck. Cookie had spiced beefalo on the menu, and I was hungry enough to eat one raw. It felt good to be underway. While I was having my lunch, Mr. Kelly and Mr. Maxwell came onto the mess deck. Mr. Kelly had a portable fire extinguisher with him and brought it over to me. It was metal, heavy, and about a half a meter long. It also had a scorch mark along the base. Let me guess, sir, I said to him. It hangs above the burned-out sensor. Yep, Mr. Kelly said. I thought you might like to see it. Mr. Maxwell continued. Your hypothesis seems to have been proved, Mr. Huang. The boat deck uses electromechanical latches. The cleanup crews found these down all over the ship, but nobody thought to do more than pick them up and re-rack them, Mr. Kelly said. We'll want to take that little item up with the designers. But, sir, why don't they fall off the bulkhead every time there's a power fluctuation, I asked. I don't know, Mr. Huang, he admitted, but we might have taken enough of a yaw when the sail generator went down that they just slipped off the latch in zero-g. Mr. Maxwell added, We seem to have excellent evidence that the ship worked exactly as it was supposed to, but we do need to look at adjusting the continuity breakers. If those had been on, this little bottle could not have been able to cause so much damage. Thank you for your work, Mr. Huang. Well done. Three days out of Nile, I began to get worried. 
We'd just taken over the evening watch, and I finished my routine maintenance and system scans. There wasn't anything left to do. For weeks, I'd had the data and systems problems stemming from the near catastrophe in Betras. Now, the statement Mr. Von Nichols had made about needing to find a way to make the position permanent came back to me. What possible value could I add on a regular basis to make it worth keeping this slot open? Mr. Von Nichols must have seen me sitting and staring at my console because he came over and asked, Are you okay, Ishmael? Troubled, sir, I told him quietly. What am I going to do to contribute now that we've got the EMP problem solved? Ah, he said, you're worried they'll take the slot away. No, sir, I told him. Well, yes, sir, a little. I had to correct myself. But the bigger problem is why am I here? Well, that's a question men have been asking themselves as long as we've been capable of asking it, he said with a grin. I had to chuckle. I meant, what am I contributing to the trip, sir, I told him. He smiled an odd, almost gentle smile. So did I, Ish. Isn't that really the question we ask ourselves all the time? What am I contributing to the trip? It clicked into place then, all of it. The whole swirling mass of angst and uncertainty snapped into focus. I took a deep breath and then let it out. Not a sigh, but something else. When you put it like that, sir, I said with a smile, it's so obvious. So what do we need to be more effective as a ship, he asked. Well, sir, the mechanics of the ship's operations seem pretty well optimized. Well, you might be surprised at that, he said, but go on. Well, sir, Pip and Cookie built some software to help them with market analysis and trading. Would it be appropriate for me to work on that? Maybe take some of what they've learned in building those displays to help with, I don't know, visualize trades? Perfectly, Mr. Huang, he said. Why don't you look that over and see what you can do to help out? You might also check with Sandy Belterson on her astrogation updates. Really, sir? Yes, he said. The ship is designed and built by people who know how to build ships, but not necessarily make their living flying them. What makes sense for them is sometimes less than intuitive for those of us out here in the deep dark. You think I could help, sir? I asked. I don't know the first thing about this stuff, really. I think that gives you a leg up on the people who designed it, Mr. Huang, he said with a grin. How's that, sir? I asked. Well, they thought they knew what we needed done. You're laboring under no such false belief, he said with a grin. I spent the rest of that mid-watch running through the cargo simulations that Pip had built. I got a feel for what it was doing, very loosely, but... I was going to need to talk with him about what he needed out of it before I could mess with it. I thought I saw some things I could do with the way he plotted trends against cargo and poured. While I was at it, I took a look at the cargo manifest reporting. Compared to the systems display we had for communication status, cargo manifest seemed, well, for lack of a better word, primitive. Of course, if that's all they needed, then perhaps I was trying to fix something that wasn't broken. Still, it was something to do, and by the time the watch was over, I had lined up about eight different projects. I wasn't sure any of them had any merit, but until I looked into them, I wouldn't know. The next day was my 24 off, so I took a run in a long sauna before heading to my bunk. As I settled down to sleep, finally, I was thinking about Bev, the flying living room, and the academy. I wondered where Brill might work in there, or even Pip. Chapter 28 Umber System 2352, October 5 we were two days out of Umber, and Pip was ecstatic. I'd been working with him all the way from Nile to improve his cargo trading software. We'd spent the first few weeks on the way out of Nile just bringing me up to speed on what it did and how it did it. I was able to develop some new code for him that let him siphon off more of the beacon data on cargo pricing. More, I discovered that we could get access to Confederation economic indices as we passed the jump beacon, so we were able to begin adjusting our trade expectations based on baseline economic data. I didn't understand it myself, but I was happy to set up the data handling and visualization routines. This is fantastic, Pip gushed as we pulled in the orbital beacon data. We were sitting on the mess deck mid-morning, and he was looking over the new displays of the most current commodities data. 
I had my doubts, personally. Is this going to help you make more profitable trades? I asked him. Are you kidding, he asked. I'll be able to find cargo opportunities that I wouldn't have even seen before. With this level of detail two or three days out? Wow. It just doesn't seem like that big a deal, I said. Are you sure? Look, Ish, he said seriously, in the marketplace you need two things, information and time. You need the information to know what's possible. You need the time to decide what to do. With these new displays and the extra economic data, we're going to start making better trades right away. Look, he said, pointing out one of the new pricing tread lines. That price is dropping like a rock. If we wait two days to sell those igniter plugs when we get to port, and if that trend continues, we'll have lost 3% of the value of the trade. If we can lock that price in now, that's money we'll be making we didn't even know about before. Well, I could see his point. But why isn't everybody doing this, I asked. Well, they're probably trying to. We're succeeding because you've given me a set of economic tools that are custom-built for exactly what we're doing. We really need to show this to Mr. Cotton, Pip said. He's going to be impressed. All right, I said, but what do we need to be able to do next with this? I really think we need to get Mr. Cotton and Mr. Maxwell in on the brainstorming, he said. Well, sounds reasonable. Mr. Maxwell's on watch now. Why don't you talk to him this afternoon and maybe get Mr. Cotton, too, I suggested. I've got the afternoon watch, and maybe we can sit down after cleanup tonight and go over it. Pip agreed, and I headed to the gym for a pre-watch run and sauna. I had about a stand before I had to report to the bridge, and after 13 months of running almost every day, I could now run for most of that time without any problems. I'd been working on kicking up the pace since time was an issue, and I was doing reasonably well. It felt good, too. When I got to the bridge, I marveled over the big blue ball that was umber. I never did find out why they named a blue planet for a shade of brown, but there were stranger things. The system we just left, for example, NIAL, was actually an acronym for Not in Our Lifetimes, which is what the original settlers had thought about the prospects of making that planet habitable for people. They'd been wrong, of course, but the name had stuck. Dick Graves was on the bridge working with Sandy Belterson to start the astrogation updates. It was a lengthy process that often ran from two or three days before docking through the port visit and a day or two more into departure, depending on the volume of updates that needed to be made. I watched for a while as they laboriously took data from one screen and pasted it bit by bit into another screen. Isn't there a process for loading those records? I asked. Sandy gave me one of her you-really-don't-understand-this looks and said, Yes-ish, there is. You're looking at it. I grinned at her. I was thinking of a more automated process, like grab all the updates and put them in the database command, but I see your point. Both of them shook their heads, and Dick said, No, it's one of the banes of the astrogator's existence. The problem is that we have to find the ones we apply. We can't just take all of them, so we do it manually. Why can't you take them all, and how do you know if you missed one? I asked, really curious at this point. Sandy pointed out the contents of an update. Some of these are for areas of the galaxy we never go, like this one is for the Hindon Quadrant. There's no sense to grab that, it just wastes time, and we don't know for sure if we missed one. That's why two of us do it. So you're calling the updates because it would take too much time to do them all. Dick grinned at me and said, exactly, this stuff takes forever. Well, if we got the system to do it so that we could grab them all in a tick, or even ten, is there any reason why that would be a problem? If you could figure out how to do that, you'd be a hero to astrogators across the galaxy, Sandy said. Dick looked at me sharply. Why, he asked, do you think you can? I'm still trying to figure out why it hasn't been done already, I told him. It looks like it would be pathetically easy to do, but if I can see it, then why hasn't somebody else done it by now? I don't understand, Sandy said. How could it be pathetically easy? We have to grab the updates of the beacons and manually go through them. True, I told her, but this information is coming from the same sources that Pip's cargo data is coming from, the jump and orbital beacons, right? Well, I don't know about Pip's cargo data, Dick said, but yeah, they're coming from the beacons. We get a few from the jump beacons, but the majority come from the orbital loads. 
I took them over to my station and showed them the cargo and price loads that we were capturing for PIP and what we were doing with the status in terms of matching it against our flight plans and projecting alternatives. It didn't take long to give them the tour, and when I looked up at them, they were both staring there, peering into my screen like, well, like I don't know what. Their expressions were something between disbelief and total lust. Sandy, Dick said, would you mind carrying on with those updates while I have a long chat with our savior here? Sandy shook herself away from peering at the screen. Well, the shorter that long chat, the better, she said with a grin, but if you could move it along, I'd be grateful. She headed back to her station, and I could see Mr. Vonickel smiling from the other side of the bridge. The rest of the watch went by in nothing flat, and by the time it was over, Dick had given me a little tour of the astrogation system. The basic structure wasn't that much different from the cargo data, really. The actual content was different, of course, but the structure was very similar. When the first section came to relieve us, Dick and Sandy had their heads together, talking excitedly as they headed down the ladder. Mr. Von Nichols followed me off the bridge, and at the foot of the ladder he asked, "'You seem to have gotten over your concern about being a burden on Lois,' he said. "'Yes, sir, in a way,' I said. "'I still want to feel like I'm contributing, but between Pip's cargo stuff and this new project in astrogation, I think I can help.' "'I think so, too, Mr. Huang,' he told me. "'Mr. Maxwell was just telling me that the cargo work is excellent, and I think you can expect a few more little tasks from him on our next leg.' He and Mr. Cotton would both like some enhancements to the manifest system to give a better representation of the cargoes. Well, sir, I'll stop worrying about job security so long as I'm doing some good, I told him with a smile. He clapped me on the shoulder. You're helping Lois. You may not feel like it, but think of this like working on the mustache. We all work better and more effectively because we don't have to worry about fixing a meal every time we're hungry. You're finding rough places in the systems that haven't been addressed because systems officers like me, who might know about them, can't get the time away from routine officer work to deal with them. And the system specs, who might be able to, typically are justified 18 ways to Sunday before a slot even opens up. Your slot here is practically unique in the fleet because we got it through based on threat to the ship, not on demonstrated workload. He smiled reassuringly. My stomach growled loudly enough for him to hear it. I guess I shouldn't have mentioned the mess deck, he said with a laugh. I grinned back at him. Well, perhaps we could head down there. I think Cookie's got lamb chops for dinner. My stomach growled in agreement, and Mr. Von Nichols led the way. During the approach and docking in number, my mind started wandering back to the voyage. The cargo systems were shaping up nicely, and I was looking forward to working with Dick Graves on the long import watches. We had a prototype astrogation update in place, but Dick wanted to get Ms. Avril's input on it. We'd have time to sit down and really go through it in port. I was actually thinking that it felt good to have things finally straightening out, and I thought, there, things are finally getting under control. It was one of those fate-tempting kinds of thoughts, and I regretted it as soon as it flashed through my mind. Something of that regret must have shown on my face, because Mr. Von Nichols leaned over and asked quietly, Are you all right, Ish? Yes, sir, I told him. I just had an uneasy thought there for a second. Looked like you'd been stabbed, he commented with a quiet chuckle. I smiled back at him, but I just knew I was going to live to regret that thought, so I tried to counteract it by thinking of all the miserable things I could. I knew it wouldn't work, but I was hoping for some damage control. We were soon docked, though, and first section relieved us. That was the first time we docked before breakfast, so everybody was a little thrown off. It didn't make that much difference to me. Third section had had the midwatch, so it was just a little livelier for us. It worked out well for first section, though. It didn't really matter all that much in the long haul, I realized. It all evened out in the end. I stood up and stretched and looked out to either side to see who we were docked with. There was another container ship docked to starboard with the double Fs of Federated Freight emblazoned on the side of the bow. The configuration didn't look quite like Lois. I thought she had more cargo sections and looked longer. It was hard to tell looking back in the dark like that. On the port side was a bulk hauler in blue and gray livery. It had a C superimposed on an L, all in an eight-pointed star. I knew the logo, but I couldn't dredge it up. It would come to me. It didn't matter in the long run, I thought. 
and leaned down to secure my console. We'd been relieved, and the captain and Mr. Maxwell were negotiating liberty. I wasn't in any hurry to leave the ship myself. Midwatch was still midwatch, and I could use a little nap before I did anything. The co-op would be spending the day in preliminaries, in preparation for a movement in force. Mr. Von Nichols had let me reserve the booth for them. Systems and comms were, for all intents and purposes, the same, but I still got a kick out of it. As I was headed for the ladder, Mr. Maxwell and the captain finally got done with their negotiations, and Bev made the liberty announcement. I smiled at her on the way by and stepped aside to let the captain have the right-of-way on the ladder. Thank you, Mr. Wong, she said, leading the way down, and if you have a few moments, perhaps you'd accompany me to the cabin. Damn. I knew I shouldn't have thought it. It's never under control. Of course, Captain, I said, with what I sincerely hoped was a sincere manner. Obviously, it wasn't sincere enough, because she glanced up at me, one quick flick of the eyes, and I thought she was smiling. I sighed quietly. If there was one person whose smile bothered me more than Mr. Maxwell's, it was the Captain's. Her cabin was only a few steps from the bridge, so I didn't have a lot of time to think about it before we were there. This will only take a few moments, Ishmael, she said, closing the door behind us. Please, have a seat. And she indicated the sofa. I'm always a little put off by that. If it wasn't going to take very long, why sit? Still, she was the captain, and I sat. She settled across from me and said, So, what have you thought about the academy? Well, captain, I thought we'd agreed that I'd work out my contract before I decided, I said. The Academy is first a college, Ishmael, she said. If you wait until September to make up your mind, don't you foresee a bit of a problem? What problem, Captain? I asked before thinking about it. Classes start in... And, of course, that was the problem. She saw me realize it and waited. You're right, Captain, I said. I'd need to apply. Exactly, she said. She let me stew for a heartbeat or two before adding, You can always choose not to go, but if you don't apply, you won't have that choice. "'Well, Captain, I'd have to be accepted, too,' I pointed out. "'Oh, of course,' she said with a small smile, "'but that's not likely to be a problem. Oh, "'They must get thousands of applicants, Captain. "'I'd have to beat out a lot of people,' I said. "'Well, approximately 15,000 for each fall's class,' she said. "'They take the top 500.' "'I thought about that. "'Not as many as I thought, sir,' I admitted. "'My mother occasionally served on the admissions committee "'at the University of Neris. I, "'I know they got about 500, "'but they were limited by only accepting Neris Company employees and their families.' Well, it's a bit of a specialized degree, Ishmael, she said with a half-smile and a twinkle in her eye, as I believe you pointed out yourself. She had me on that one. Good point, Captain, I said with a sigh. Part of me was saying, you've got the ratings, you don't need to be an officer. Part of me was screaming, go, you damned fool, at least apply so you can make up your mind later. She waited me out. The screaming side won. It usually did. Well... I guess I'd better find out when they start accepting applications and see what I need to do then, eh, Captain? I said at last. Admissions begins October 1st for the next fall's class, she said. You need to fill out an application and submit it with at least three references. Those with experience or ratings need to include a copy of their personnel jackets as well. You just happen to know that off your head, Captain, I said. She smiled slyly. Ishmael, I've sent more than my share of candidates to Port Newmar. I don't intend to stop any time soon. Do you earn a bounty or something, Captain? I asked, thinking they might get a referral fee or the like. Yes, Ishmael, I do. I get the satisfaction of helping good people become officers and do good work. It's part of the McKendrick legacy, she said. I like the feeling I get from knowing the coming generations are well represented by the kind of people my great-grandmother would have approved of. Even if I'm not quite ready to fade off onto the rim myself yet, she added with a smile. I smiled back at her. Can I ask how long you've been playing this, Captain? I asked. Do you remember O'Rourke? she asked. Of course, Captain, she said I reminded her of her nephew. 
Well, I've been planning since O'Rourke told me that you were good people, she said seriously. But you hadn't even met me, Sar, I said. Ishmael, I've known Annie O'Rourke for almost 35 stanyards. We served together on five ships. If Annie O'Rourke says you're good people, I believe her. She surprised me at that, and I laughed. I had no idea, Captain, I said finally. Annie said you were curious and you took responsibility, she said. You'd have never even found out about the opening if she hadn't decided you'd work out. It was just luck that we were due in Neris, and we were putting that ninny ashore. Personally, I didn't think it was luck exactly, but I felt a little funny thinking it was Lois. What happened to him, Captain? Do you know? I asked. Anne said he got a job working for Neris Company as a fry cook in one of the company commissaries. He's still there, as far as I know, she said. I thought about that for a tick, and then said, Well, I'd better get going on that application, then. Do you happen to know where I can find one, Captain? She grinned and pulled out her own tablet. Worked on it for less than a tick. It's in your inbox, she said. Look it over now, please, and I'll answer any questions you may have about it. Somehow that didn't surprise me, but what I found in my inbox did. It was the application, all right. Captain, I said, this application appears to be all filled out. Yes, Ishmael, she said with a smile. You only need to endorse it as being a true and accurate representation. I scrolled through the pages. I had my school records from Neris. Everything. I got to the end of the forms and kept scrolling through the letters of recommendation. The first was from the captain, followed by Mr. Maxwell and Mr. Von Nichols, which was the required three. I kept scrolling and found one from Mr. Kelly and another from Mr. Cotton and a third from Miss Avril. Every officer on board? I asked incredulously. Yes, Ishmael, the captain said with a smile, and a, a few others. I looked back and kept scrolling. Captain Cassandra Harrison of the Samuel Slater. Second mate Alicia Alvarez of the Marcel Duchamp. Third mate Alberta Ross of the William Headley. Captain Penelope Carstairs of the Bad Penny. I'm sure I blushed over the first few names, but I couldn't place the third. I didn't know any officers from the Headley. What's the matter, Ishmael? The captain asked with a grin. You don't recognize Al? Al? I exclaimed. She was in astrogation. She is. She's their astrogation officer, the captain grinned, and a damn fine one. A bit eccentric, but she could plot the course to the gates of hell and have you back in time for dinner. I was dumbfounded. About Captain Harrison, sir, I began. Now I'm asking no questions, Ashmel. Tell me no lies. She stopped me with a grin. Cass sent that letter without my asking. She popped it into my inbox just before the Slater pulled out. The cover note said, Please add my recommendation to the file. But how... I didn't even know what I was trying to ask. Luckily, the captain did. How did she know that there was a file to add it to? She prompted. Yes, captain, I think. We were roommates at the academy. She shrugged. You learn a lot there, and some of it has to do with ships. I didn't know what else to say. She also knows I have a habit of recommending likely people to the academy. Maybe she saw something in your manner on the gangway watch that she liked. She added with a grin that might have just been a touch over the line toward evil. I tried not to blush, but I don't think I was successful. Hoping to distract her, I asked, How many have you recommended, Captain? You're number 34, Ishmael, she said. I was expecting something like ten. Wow, that's a lot, I blurted. How many have been accepted, sir? Thirty-three of them, and all have graduated near the top of their class, she said with a proud smile. Not all at the top, of course. One year there were five of my people in the same class. They were all in the top ten. A memorable year. Alicia Alvarez was in that group, actually. She added, with another of those evil grins. She was enjoying herself immensely, and oddly enough, so was I. What happened to the last one? I asked, before I did the math. Well, if he ever endorses his application, we'll find out, she said with a laugh. Oh, of course. Where do I sign? I asked. What else was there?
Thanks for listening to Full Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the solar clipper. Music is from the Fox Hunters, an Irish slip jig originally recorded in 1984 by James Curran and available on the Internet Archive at www.archive.org. This has been a presentation from Dorandis, offered under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 2.5 license. For a website and more information on the Golden Age, visit www.dorandis.org/golden.